So I want to talk about the heart of grace based on Ezekiel 36, 26. Of all of the attributes that we have discovered in Ezekiel, the one you might think that we are least likely to find in this book is grace, the attributes of God, grace. But we have seen it, and there is amazing grace in Ezekiel. So I have three statements to make about the heart of grace. And when I'm saying the heart of grace, I'm really talking about the core, the essentials of grace that are evident from our studies this week. And these are also evident from the rest of Scripture. And I'm going to give you your outline right now. Statements about the heart of grace. These are true for the grace which Israel will receive from the Lord, and they're true for the grace that we've already received. The heart of grace is based on the nature of God. The heart of grace is given through the work of God. And the heart of grace guarantees a life for God. So just to be clear, when I say the heart of grace, I'm not using this phrase to refer to your heart, the new heart that we get. When I say heart of grace, I'm referring to God's heart, God's nature. He is a God of grace. And next to these statements, you could go up to and write out to the side next to them. For the first one, the heart of grace is based on the nature of God. It's all about God. The heart of grace is given through the work of God. It's all through Christ. And the third one, the heart of grace guarantees a life for God. You can hopefully guess what that one is. It's all by the Holy Spirit. This life for God is by the Holy Spirit. So I want to um, walk through each of these statements now. The heart of grace is based on the nature of God. In Ezekiel 36, 22, the Lord says, I do not do this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my name's sake. God's name, God's reputation, his nature is the basis for the heart transplant that Israel will receive and the one that we did receive. Throughout the book of Ezekiel, we've seen that the Lord is a holy, righteous, perfect God who cannot, does not, will not tolerate sin, wickedness, impurity, uncleanness. He will not tolerate any of this in his presence. Why? Well, because he's holy. Because he is a just God, and because he is the judge, he is fair and accurate and honest. He knows what's going on in his people. He has assessed them correctly, and he must judge his people according to what they deserve. And so he did. He did that. We've seen that so clearly in the book of Ezekiel. And now the Lord declares that he will do something 
new for them. When he's telling them what he's going to do, he makes it totally clear. He's not doing it for their own joy or peace or comfort. Let me help you out here. Well, yeah, he is helping them out. What he's going to do is completely, absolutely for his own sake. What the Lord will do to the Israelites, in the Israelites, will show the world who he is. We see so clearly from Ezekiel 36, 22, that grace is unmerited favor. It's something given to someone who doesn't deserve it at all. He's not doing it because of Israel. He didn't give his grace because of us. He gave it because of his namesake. So we also see that grace is based on the very nature of God. It's all about God. It's not about us. This perspective is explained and exclaimed in the New Testament. In Ephesians 1, 5 and 6, it says that we were predestined to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. I would love to hear Paul say this. According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Did he get excited? I'm sure he did. Do you see anything in this phrase that makes you think that we were the reason that God adopted us? No. God did it because it pleased him. And just as the change in the Israelites will do, the change in our lives gives praise to the glory of God's grace. And do you realize that it pleased God to make Jesus the channel of grace. Because of God's holy nature and his perfect justice, the gift of grace was bought through the death of Christ. And we see this in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. It pleased the Father that in him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile, reconcile all things to himself by him, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus' death. He was slain before the foundation of the world because it pleased God. Because his death and resurrection would glorify God. Those who receive the gift of grace honor and glorify the name of the Lord. That is what we are to do. I hope you are doing it. It's all about God's reputation. God's nature. Grace is all about God. The second essential of grace is that the heart of grace is given through the work of God. I'm going to spend most of my time on this idea. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 30, describe the actions that God takes in imparting grace. And you looked at those verses one by one in your homework. We are experts in the concept of grace being a free gift and it's not our work. Grace is a free gift that God gives us. We can't earn it. We don't work for it. But guess what we see in Ezekiel? Grace is God's work. There is work associated with grace and God does that work. 
So let's look at the actions of grace seen in Ezekiel, and then we'll see their parallels in the New Testament. First of all, what is some of the work that God does? He washes the defiled. God says in Ezekiel 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your defilements and all your idols. I will cleanse you. So God's doing this work of cleansing us. Baptists might have a little concern about the use of the word sprinkling (laughs) in this passage. But we have to go back to Bible times and times before Ezekiel to the time of Moses to understand what this refers to. First of all, there was a practical aspect for washing by sprinkling. Think about the conditions that they lived in in the Middle East. It was a very dry climate. There was very little water. People didn't take baths. They splashed water on their faces and their hands and their arms. My grandmother called it a bird bath. The second thing that we need to remember about the time of the Israelites was there was a ceremonial aspect of washing. When Israelites became unclean through various types of defilement, They couldn't enter the tabernacle or the temple until they'd been ceremonially purified, washed, cleansed. So they had to go through this ritual. It's seen in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. And I want to read a passage from Exodus that is a good example. This is Exodus 19, 9 through 15. I didn't put this long passage up on the screen. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai inside of all the people. You will set bounds up for all the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you don't go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him. He shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether a man or beast. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. The tangible presence of the Lord was going to come down on the mountain in this cloud. That was how he was going to manifest his presence. And he is a holy God. And he said, the people have got to be washed, clean, ready. This was a ceremonial purification for them. He was calling the people into his presence. So they had to be clean to be near him. And I want you to store that away, this ceremonial purification. Store that away because you're going to need to remember it when we talk about the sacrifices in the Messianic kingdom, when we get into those chapters in Ezekiel. So what was happening to the people in Ezekiel right now? They had been removed and cut off and exiled from the land because of uncleanness. And the Lord was going to bring them back to be in his presence, to be their God, and they would be his people. He would dwell in their midst. They had to be clean. This is what he's telling them is going to happen. So the people, the Israelites, 
would have to be washed. And in the culture of the times, to be sprinkled with clean water would have signified ceremonial purification to them. God will wash them. He will cleanse them with water. Grace is given through this act of washing. But is it given to us through the act of washing with water? Not literal H2O. Baptism is not our washing. But we are washed at the moment that we receive the gift of grace. We're washed at the moment of our salvation. Here's Titus 3, 5 and 6. I love this verse. I think I share it with you all the time. It tells us so much. It is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So that's how we get washed, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Paul was writing to Titus. This is a letter written in Greek. And in Greek, washing means actually to take a bath. Even in the New Testament days, people didn't take baths as we know them, but they were still sprinkling. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, You were washed, but you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So again, how are we washed? God does his work of washing through his Holy Spirit. And Hebrews chapter 10, some verses here, pull all these concepts together. I'm going to read this highlighted part first. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's sprinkling going on. There's washing going on. And how did it happen? We see the first part of the sentence that's actually being expressed. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near the true heart. We can draw near when we have the new heart that's been washed by the spirit of God. This grace was given through the action of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that washed away our sins and he poured out our spirit and his blood and the work of the spirit cleanses us. This first work is that God washes us from all uncleanness and brings us into his presence. We see this in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. And the second work of God is that he operates on the dead. What? He operates on the dead. Okay. People do autopsies on the dead. They don't operate on the dead. But God did. He says in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He doesn't explain this in the order that it would happen on the operating table if this was really, you know, happening right there in a surgery. Why doesn't he say, I'll remove the heart of stone? 
and then say, I'll give you a new heart. The only thing I can think of is that he's putting the most important thing first. You need a new heart. I'm giving you a new heart. Got to take the old one out. I'm putting a new one in. What the Israelites needed. Above anything and everything else was a new heart. They needed life because they were dead. Again, we have seen this illustrated through Ezekiel 37 and the dry bones that became lifeless, dead bodies. The Lord describes the heart of the Israelites as stone. That illustrates the coldness. The insensitivity, the incorrigibility and lifelessness of the people. And Ezekiel knew the Lord was right about the description of their hearts. He'd been prophesying to these rebellious, obstinate, cold, incorrigible people for years. God says he'll operate on them, remove the old, dead, stone cold heart and give them a new heart. God takes death away and gives life. This is amazing. This is what the grace of God does. It completely changes us. And this is not a process. This is from death to life, from old to new. This happens at the moment of salvation. This is salvation. It is life. Ephesians 2, 1 tells us, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And Ephesians 2, 5, a few verses later, says, even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I love these verses. I love them. Colossians 2.13 says, You, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. Ezekiel 36.26 so clearly describes the condition of each of our hearts when we're born dead. Dead, cold, stone hearts. And then these verses in Ephesians and Colossians make it clear as well that before Christ, without Christ, individuals are dead. They're separated from God. That is death, spiritual death. But God takes action. He gives grace and through his grace, he gives life. This new life is possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death was conquered Our old dead self was crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. And when Christ rose from the dead, he made the way for us to receive a new heart and new life. And we get eternal life from our salvation, but it's not just for the future. We're not going to get it when we get to heaven. We get it at the moment of salvation. Eternal life starts when you get life because you were dead and then you get life. I want you to see and hear Romans 6, 6 through 10 from the New Living Translation. 
Romans 6, 6 through 10. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. If we are in Christ and we have the life of Christ and the life of his spirit, and he is never going to die again, then how are we going to die again? We can't. This is another uh, guarantee of your salvation, your eternal salvation, security of your salvation. So grace is given through the work of God through Christ. Grace is all about Jesus. And the third essential from our passage in Ezekiel 36 is that the heart of grace guarantees a life for God. Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. There's a reason God puts his spirit in us. We need it to be able to obey him. He's doing it for his namesake so that we can obey him. The Lord had already said through Ezekiel that he would give a new heart and a new spirit. We saw that in Ezekiel 11 and Ezekiel 18. He's already mentioned this new heart. Israel has been told, get a new heart. They can't get it on their own. They can't get it for themselves. Now, in Ezekiel 37, after the judgment, after they've learned that Jerusalem has been captured, after time has passed and they're all in exile, now the Lord reveals to Ezekiel that the new spirit that the Israelites will receive, the new spirit that we receive with the new heart, that gives us a new heart, is his own Holy Spirit. This had to be shocking. The Israelites had an understanding that the Holy Spirit would come upon certain individuals for a time, enabling them to do the works of God. But they'd never heard about this before. You're going to get the Holy Spirit of God in you. The Lord was speaking to the whole house of Israel. They'd just been judged for all their sins Wickedness, rebellions against the Lord, they were hopeless. They felt like they were as dead and dry as the bones that Ezekiel saw in chapter 37. They thought they were completely cut off from the Lord. And he says he will put his spirit in them. That's grace. When God puts his spirit in them, and we have talked about how this is going to happen on a day in the future. When the Lord puts his spirit in the whole house of Israel and they have their salvation, he will cause them to walk in his statutes and keep his judgments and do them. The Holy Spirit indwelling the Israelites will guarantee that they can live the life that God has planned for them all along. 
Because Jesus inaugurated the new covenant, we who believe in him have received this Holy Spirit. So, the heart of grace guarantees that we can live this life that God wants us to live. We've already noted that God operates on the dead. He gives his patient life. When a doctor completes his surgery, he stitches up the patient. He closes the incision. But there's a glue that doctors can use instead of stitches, and it works by sealing the blood vessels together. The patient doesn't have to be stitched up because he's sealed up. And that's the way the Lord has been finishing his heart surgeries all along. Ephesians 1:13 says, Having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In his grace, God gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can live the life that he has planned for us. And Romans 8, 11 talks about having the Spirit. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The same Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in us. He is a powerful spirit. That's the power that is in you. Not your strength, not your power, the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one Jesus promised to send as counselor and comforter and teacher. Jesus said to his disciples, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. So, Think about this. See if you will agree with it. There is not one thing that God desires for you or commands you to do that you can't do. If God wants you to do it, you can do it. You can do all things through Christ. That's the way you think of being able to do something, right? But it's the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you that enables you to live the life that God wants you to live. You can do all things through the Spirit of Christ who strengthens you. If God wants you to do it, He has given you the power to do it. His Holy Spirit is the power. Galatians 5.25 says, So if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Paul is saying, if you have life from the dead, from the Holy Spirit, then every day your behavior, how you're going to walk and live, you're going to live by the power of the spirit too. The heart of grace guarantees a life for God. The amazing thing about grace is that it saved a wretch like me, but there's more. Grace doesn't just save us and set us aside. There are countless blessings that flow from the grace of God. Ezekiel 36 talks about the blessings that the Israelites will experience. We looked at those a lot last week. We will continue to see blessings. Ezekiel 36, 33 through 35. Thus says the Lord, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. 
The desolate land should be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they'll say this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. There are more blessings listed. And he concludes that passage saying, and they shall know that I am the Lord. That is the greatest blessing. Israelites will experience blessings. And as we grow in grace and our understanding of the grace of God, we too experience blessings. So I'll close with these thoughts. When we recognize that grace is based on the nature of God, when we understand who God is and who we are, then we're humbled and dependent and we become worshipers. God is glorified and we are satisfied. Grace is about God and who he is. When we recognize that grace is given through the work of God through Christ, then we rest from our own works. We're not working anymore. We can rest because we have life and we are accepted and we can be in the intimate presence of the Lord. And when we recognize that grace guarantees that we can live our lives for God through his spirit, then we have security. We have confidence. We have courage to live an abundant life, to live an obedient life, to live a life testifying to who God is. And through all this, we can say with Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. I didn't do it. The grace of God is at work through me. Grace is amazing. It's marvelous. It's matchless. It's infinite. And it's not about me. It's about God. It is about Jesus. It is about His Holy Spirit. It is amazing grace. Let's pray to our God of grace. Lord God, our holy God, holy, 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 we praise you seated on your throne. We thank you for all that you are. Your name is hallowed before us. And Jesus, we know that you walked on earth as the Holy One of God. You were perfect and obedient and you were anointed and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And this boggles our minds. We cannot under, understand everything um, because of the Trinity. But you were the God man, God in the flesh. And you were anointed by your spirit. And you sent your spirit. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for uh, taking us from death to life and forgiving us and cleansing us of our sins that we can be in the intimate presence of our God. And we look forward to the many blessings that are in the future. Lord, help us depend on you, your spirit right here, right now, while we're walking on this earth. 
uh, while we're walking through days uh, and places that seem as uh, just sad and dead, as hopeless as all the dry bones that we can picture from Ezekiel 37. Lord, may we trust you and obey you and not quench your spirit, not grieve your spirit, but walk by your spirit. Thank you that we don't have to do it in our own strength. Thank you that we are dependent on you for every moment. And may you get the glory, be glorified. It is about you. We praise you and everything about you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. In your name we pray. Amen.